Principle number five. Therefore, we are limited to three educational instruments, the atmosphere of environment, the discipline of habit, and the presentation of living ideas. The PNEU motto is, education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. The Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education. But who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful? I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the Commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness, I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. quiz. What is the point of education? I'm kidding. I'm just making sure everyone's been listening because we've covered a lot in the first four episodes of this season. We've learned what a child is, what they can grow to become, how our authority partners with their docility, and how to motivate a child with what's right. Do you know what comes next? How to teach a child. Ugh, I'm so excited. This is what we've been waiting for. So let's get started from the ground up. Since children are born persons, they are born with an innate sense of a moral code. There's a should or an ought in how they respond to God and to others. But having that innate sense doesn't mean they know what's right or wrong. I remember it dawning on me a few years ago that when I said things like, be kind, my children didn't necessarily know which actions were kind and which weren't. There was some much needed instruction for the category of kindness. And the same sort of instruction is needed as we enter home education. When we teach, we should think of it like feeding our children's minds in order to teach their consciences. Now, maybe you feel differently, but it can feel like everything you've ever known to teach in motherhood or education is off the table after principle four. It's a bit jarring to feel stuck in a moment asking yourself, wait, is that going to manipulate them? Will this? I mean, what can I do? But Mason encourages us to focus on what is possible once we cross the hurdle of the fourth principle. She says, having cut out the direct use of fear or love, suggestion or influence, undue play upon any one natural desire, emulation, for example, we are no longer free to use all means in the education of children. There are but three left for our use, and to each of these we must give careful study or we shall not realize how great a scope is left to us. Well, here we go, my friend. We are finally at the threshold of the mother teacher's tools to rightly motivate a child to get them to learn. Consider today's episode your very own primer on the atmosphere, discipline, and life of a Charlotte Mason education. We're going to take a high-level look at all three, and then in the next three mini-episodes, we'll focus on each one separately. Are you ready? I now hand to you the three tools of the mother teacher, the atmosphere of environment, the discipline of habit, and the presentation of living ideas. Or, to pull the Charlotte Mason tagline, an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. First up, atmosphere. The atmosphere of the home can generally be described as the feel or tone of your home. 
Nobody can force an atmosphere. It's something created by the cares, beliefs, and efforts that unconsciously work themselves out of the minds, hearts, and hands of those who live there. It's the ordinary happenings of home life, what kids experience in a holistic way, what they see, hear, learn, embody. It's our duty to allow our kids to grow up with exposure to life as it is. The wonderful things like delicious meals and sounds of laughter, and also the difficult things like sibling squabbles and the consequences of carelessness. It's important that they learn how to relate to their surroundings, whether those be a brother, an authority, a liturgy, a problem, or an uncapped marker sitting right next to a lovely white wall. Mason encourages natural atmosphere to combat the opposite idea, which is a carefully constructed environment just for kids. The atmosphere of your home should be harmonious with what you teach and expect in your home education. But by removing, reordering, and rearranging a child's environment to, to suit them and their immature child ways, we inhibit an important part of their learning. We intuitively know that what surrounds a child is important, but it also has to be genuine. The habits, ideas, and actions around them profoundly shape their loves, their thoughts, and their behaviors. I mean, so much is learned at home and so much is practiced at home. As full persons, children have real work and real virtue to offer their atmospheres. They're building the family culture just as they're learning from it. They can make the home beautiful through chores and creativity, or they can make it inhospitable for everyone. It also has to be genuine because so much of what's learned is the unconscious overflow from what we moms actually love, think, and do, not what we say we love, think, and do. Just think about everything a child picks up on that you don't set out to teach in a given day. How tone can build up or tear down. If interruptions are cause for irritation or cheerfulness. If you measure the goodness of a day by your productivity, how you attend to your toy, oh, <laughs> I mean phone, instead of people, how you attend to your book instead of people, if your space is kept in order or if it's not, if you sigh or lollygag when asked to do something, if you love the work given to you or treat it as a to-do list, if you can expect obedience without being obedient. I seriously doubt any mom sits her children down and explains as a formal lesson that a good day is one where all the things she thinks to do are completed with little interruption from them. But it's something communicated through the atmosphere of many homes. You see, kids are well-tuned hypocrisy meters, and this point brings me daily to repentance. I can talk here of truth, goodness, and beauty, and I can repeatedly say lovely, noble family rules of the same nature, but my kids see the ways I fail to pursue these ideals. And yours do too. The anxious undertones, the complaining spirits, the wasted time, all of those things are felt, seen, and learned in our atmosphere. I don't share this to be a major downer. This is just part of life. There will be good days and there will be bad days. Our sins are part of the package. But here's where Mason comes in with the soothing balm of the gospel. She reminds moms to trust God. He wills and works in ways we don't understand, drawing straight with our crooked lines, turning our strivings into works of grace. Our duty is to model what it looks like to be a whole person, to strive towards the better things, to repent when we fail, and to do it all again with joy. The goal is not a perfect atmosphere. Should I say, just to make it really clear, that's not even a possibility. But the atmosphere of our home is a teaching tool, and we can use it to bless, edify, and shape our children with truth, goodness, and beauty. Our second tool is discipline, or habit training. Last season, I did a mini-series on habit training, so if this is a completely new idea to you or if you'd love a quick brush-up, go find those episodes. Now remember, we educate for moral formation. This pedagogy is not built on fact accumulation, but on instilling virtue in our children. In the last episode, we discussed the motivation of the will in doing right because it's right. 
bet it's also kind of hard, especially for young kids just getting started on choosing what's right. The will actually gets tired when it has to make constant decisions, and that's where God's design for habit formation comes into play. Mason repeats throughout her work that habits rule in 99 of every 100 actions, and when something is a habit, it doesn't require much effort. Formed habits make doing what's right easier, or more natural, if you will. The evidence of virtue is that doing the right thing requires almost no effort, that it's a delight to do it because it's so normal. Habit training is about setting the norm for our children so that they have to think to choose what's bad, not choose what's good. It should be normal to tell the truth, not to ask yourself if you should choose to tell the truth. That's the gift we're trying to give our children. For the early years, it's important to start with concrete habits before aiming for abstract habits. For example, instead of only saying you need to obey, which for a youngster doesn't really mean anything as it's a bit abstract, you can say, when mama says come, you give me your eyes and run to me as fast as you can. That's how we obey. Teaching the concrete side of virtue lays the foundation for the future character of your child. And yes, this takes a lot of work, especially if your child has learned or formed bad habits that need to be replaced with new good ones. Either way, you have to be willing to be in it with your kid as they learn, which doesn't mean being on top of them constantly nagging. It means you're willing to cheerfully partner with them to help them form the muscle memory, if you will, to do what's right. There are three steps to training a habit the Mason way. First, you need an inspiring idea. Telling your child to practice cheerfulness is a good thing, but giving them a living idea of gratitude or complaining is far more meaningful. The picture of Mary Mary Quite Contrary from The Secret Garden will impress the mind of your child with the nastiness of complaining and the beauty of gratitude in a way that gives the habit purpose and meaning. It's not an arbitrary thing when there's an inspiring idea taking root in your child's mind. There's a reason to do it. Now, second, you should only focus on one habit at a time. Any mom knows how difficult it can be to teach a new habit. Like I said, it takes a major effort from both you and your kid. Whenever you're unlearning a bad habit, it's not good enough to just stop the habit. It needs to be replaced with a good habit. So if your child has the habit of sighing dramatically and announcing, I don't like this, as soon as you set dinner before them, it's unlikely that you'll be able to just make that stop. You need to give a replacement of, thank you mom for my dinner, to fill that previous habit track. Third, you have to be consistent. You can't let up until you know the habit has been fully formed. I remember reading a tip from Karen Glass once that said if you're training a habit in a child under six, they probably don't need to know that you're working on something. But if you're working with an older child, they definitely need to be tapped into the habit training. They need to know the what and the why. In habit training, we're attempting to make the path to virtue a little smoother for our kids. We're trying to work with God's design in the formation of persons so that until they're grown and mature and able to command themselves, their norm in our homes is towards goodness. I mean, what a gift to a child to be taught what is right, but also to be taught how to embody it every day in your home. All right, so our last tool is Education is a Life or the Generous Living Curriculum. We, as the resident lady philosophers of our homeschools, already know that children are born persons, meaning just as they have a need for physical nourishment, they also have a need for mental nourishment. They're hungry in every possible way. While you can feed the mind many things, it will grow and function best when fed the very best of ideas. That's what it's made for. Mason believed the mind takes in ideas best when shared in stories or narratives, so living books are the foundation of her educational method and for good reason. Consider the difference between telling your child, don't be bad, and reminding them of Peter Rabbit. Nobody likes a rule, but everybody loves a story. A generous living curriculum understands that. And since we've discussed at length the metaphor of eating, feasting, and digesting, 
in other episodes this season, I think it'll be more helpful today to think of ideas like little seeds. When your child takes in an idea about courage, faithfulness, prudence, or justice, it's like a tiny seed that gets buried in their minds. It, as a seed does, will take root and begin to grow. It will eventually bear fruit if the child learns to act in accordance with the idea. This is the tool that Mason uses to connect the child's mind, will, and reason. We'll get to will and reason in more detail in later principles, but here we see that our education must teach us what's right. So when an idea is accepted by our will, our reason will justify it and will be motivated to meaningful action. One thing I love is that while home education keeps the long game in mind, we have the joy of seeing fruit from the very beginning. Children are capable of growing virtue even in the earliest years. They may share their most beloved toy with a sibling or offer their earned dollar to the church or let another child go down the slide before them or feed the dog day after day. When you see these actions, you can know living ideas are forming your child. Of course, we don't know when a child needs an idea or how it should be presented or what will bloom when, but if a child is given many opportunities to form natural relationships with the best of ideas, if that's the regular rhythm of the house and the marked measure of their education, then we can watch for their attention, curiosity, captivation, and inspiration, and we can pray the seeds take deep root. So that's it for our primer. Those are your three tools, my fellow mother teacher, an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. These are the ways that honor a child as an image bearer, that motivate a child towards what's right, and that support a child as they learn. And they all flow from something so natural, a mother's thinking love. You are, in some respects, the greatest curriculum in your child's life. The home you build, the things you love, the ways you live, and the ideas you share are the most natural, informative instruments of home education. As you wrap your head and hands around these tools, consider in everything what it shows you about your loves, because love is the foundation of it all. I don't want to speak for you, but I don't want to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal in our homeschool. I want to love truth, goodness, and beauty, and I want that love to spill out into the atmosphere, the discipline, and the life I offer my children. I want them to feel it, hear it, see it, and catch it. In case you were wondering, that pop quiz at the top of the episode about the point of education? Love. That's my answer, from every angle. For me, for them, for why and how, for every day from now until the end. It's love. I'll see you guys in four weeks. Hey there. Did you know Apple Podcasts has a fancy algorithm that loves to share podcasts with others based on listeners' ratings and reviews? I won't pretend to know how it's so smart, but I will ask. If The Commonplace has been helpful to you, will you help share it with other new homeschooling moms by leaving a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts? Then, please, by all means, get back to your book.